Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. Today we're going to continue on with the questions, but first, I want you to see something very spectacular. Now, there are four images of parts of the universe never seen before, not even with the Hubble telescope. These are the first pictures of the James Webb telescope in space. Now, we posted them online, so you can download them and you can keep them on your own computer or phone, whatever you want. But I tell you, it's truly inspiring to see that's something that no one has seen until now outside of God. And remember what God told Abraham when he was going to make his covenant with him. He took him out that night and he said, look up into the heavens now and see if you can count the stars. And he said, so shall your seed be. Now, these pictures, we're going to run them. They're 15 seconds apiece, four of them. And measuring the speed of light, they claim that these are 13 billion light years away. Hello, all you atheists and your accidents. Impossibility. Okay, we'll show them right now. Now, they're all online, and you can download them and have them for yourself. But that's very, very inspiring. Now, let's come to Isaiah 40. Now, I would like to go through the whole chapter to show how God constructed much of the prophecies, in fact, most of the prophecies, and how this chapter is put together. All right? But we'll come down to verse 12. Down to verse 12. Because one of the most important things we need to understand is that God created everything that there is, and he's all-powerful and almighty and all-loving and all-kind and all-good but he's also all-powerful and will destroy the wicked and get rid of sin by the power of his plan. Okay, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens with a span? Just kind of... There they are all created. That's an amazing thing. I mean, we have a hard time getting rid of a fly. (laughs) But imagine, imagine what God has done. And who has comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Stop right here. This is an important verse. Whenever men come along and 
they add their traditions and they add their false interpretations, what they are doing is sitting in the seat of God and trying to direct God. See? That's a whole deep point of conversion. We pray to God because we love him and because he's called us and because he's given us his Holy Spirit. But we don't tell God what to do. God will fulfill our request. God will answer our prayers. But whenever men get lifted up to sit in the seat of God, look at what happens to them. And it's going to happen to the world. Continuing verse 13, And who was his counselor that he might instruct him? See? Now, a little short thing to remember. This verse was Job's problem. Okay? But he repented. With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge? And made known the way of understanding to him? Behold! Now, we all need to look at things like this so that we understand how great God is, how merciful, kind, and loving that God is, and how magnificent is his calling that we're going to be his sons and daughters and be in his kingdom forever and live in New Jerusalem. Now, if you think the colors on those four photos that we had on the James Webb telescope, think of what New Jerusalem is going to be like. And that's where we're going to live. Continuing, and the nations are counted as the small dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast of it sufficient for a burnt offering. Now listen to this. All nations. Okay? All nations. That's down through all time. And think about it. That's why we can look in the Bible and see, look at every one of the nations that are mentioned in the Bible and those that went against God, where are they today? Okay? All nations before him are as nothing and they're counted by him as less than nothing and vanity to whom then will you compare God? Or what likeness will you compare him? Then it talks about someone who makes a graven image. Well, now what is that graven image going to do for anyone? You know, whatever he's going to make it out of, God created it first, right? Okay. Now come down here to verse 21. So he says this, and this helps keep our perspective and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings the rulers to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Okay. God does all of that. See, God's plan is so marvelous and fantastic that he's involved here on the earth, okay? And the adversary, Satan, the devil, thinks he can do what God can do and that he has a better plan. Well, in the long run, he's going to totally fail, okay? So he says, verse 24, No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner that they take root in the ground... Then he blows upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away like stubble. Just take the book of Babylon, okay? And Assyria before them. Where is Assyria? Where is Babylon? Okay? Where is the Medo-Persian Empire? Where's the Greek Empire? Where's the Roman Empire? Okay? And then take, on the other hand all the nations of Israel, and where are they? And what are they doing, you see? Okay. So he says, To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and behold. Now that's what we're doing with these pictures. Who has measured these things? Who brings out their host by number? Now listen. He calls them all by names. Trillions and trillions of stars, God names them. Huh. By the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power, and not one fails. Okay? So this helps us get a good perspective how great that God is and what he's doing. All right. Now, let's continue on with answers to questions. Now, here's one sent in about uh, Judaism is is suing state of Florida over the abortion thing because they believe in abortion. And they say that that baby is not human until it takes its first breath. And as I pointed out last week, the newly conceived life participates in the breath of life through its mother. And through the placenta. Here's something else on abortion. I'm reading Unplanned by Abby Johnson. Now, she was the one who changed from 
being an abortion head of Planned Parenthood in in the pro-life movement. In her book, she claims that every Saturday they like to do from 25 to 35 abortions. Imagine that. That's twice a month for 50 years, and I'm not certain how many abortion clinics there are in America. Boy, that's going to be something, isn't it? I wonder what they'll find when they have to go into those vacated Planned Parenthood buildings. Now, here's a question. In Acts 8, let's turn there, all right? Acts the 8th chapter, this is quite something. Now, here's one of the first encounters of a false prophet. Remember, Jesus told them just before he was crucified that there will come false prophets and false teachers and say that Christ is Christ, but will deceive many. Now, we find that it was Philip who went down there and was baptizing. Let's read what it says about Simon Magus. Now, there are historical evidences that Simon Magus, whose name was Simon, which means Peter, was the Peter that went to Rome, not the Apostle Peter. Now, if you want to find out all the ins and outs about Peter and going to Rome and not going to Rome and what Peter did, you go to church at home, and we have nine segments proving that Peter never went to Rome and also... A little-known fact that they actually found Simon Peter's tomb on the Mount of Olives. Not under the Vatican. Verse 9. And there was a certain man named Simon who had, from earlier times, been practicing sorcery in the city. Now, that's witchcraft. And if you're dealing with witchcraft, you're dealing with demons. and astounding the nation of Samaria, proclaiming himself to be some great one, to whom they had all given heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Now then, the question is, concerning this, were the people there in Samaria Gentiles? Well, Yes, they were, with a slight mixture of Israelite. Because remember, when Assyria took over the ten tribes, they sent some off onto Babylon and Medo-Persia, and later on, because the people were not giving any honor at all to God, not even in the sense of being pagan. He sent lions among them to torment them, and so they sent for a Levite to bring them back out of captivity to show them how they need to have their religious services in Samaria. Well, it never got back to the truth, but... They did claim, as we find with the woman at the well in Samaria, 
that they knew where Jacob's well was. So, it's kind of a mixture of everything there. And so when Philip went there, you had all of these factors involved, plus Simon Magus. Then the question is, was this before Peter going to Cornelius the centurion in Acts 10? It appears to be. Okay. Yes. All right. Here's one. Two questions. One, Lazarus' parable. Why did Christ, who never sinned, use a lie about everlasting fire as an example? Huh. He did not use a lie. See? Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. All right. Please remember this. If you don't know the Sabbath and holy days of God, you will never know the true time setting of Luke 16 because when you read it, it looks like Lazarus went to heaven And the rich man went to hell to burn. Okay? And whenever they give a sermon on going to heaven or going to hell, they come here. But they don't know the time setting. Okay? So let's read it. Verse 19, Luke 16. Now there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and daily indulged himself in luxury. Huh. Sound a little bit like some of the politicians we know. And there was a certain poor man named Lazarus who laid at his porch full of sores. Right there. I imagine every day when the rich man went in and out of his house, he saw Lazarus. There's Lazarus. Probably looked at him with contempt and walked away. And he longed to be nourished with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs even came and licked his sores. Now it came to pass that the poor man died. Okay? All right. Now notice, this looks like he goes to heaven. Okay? But we know that no one goes to heaven and there is no eternal life until what? First resurrection, pictured by Pentecost. See, So the holy days are not mentioned here. So you've got to plug in the holy days to make this work the way that it actually is going to happen. See? This is one of the way that God hides things in the Bible that people won't understand. Okay? And the angels carried him away into Abraham's bosom. Now, where does it say that when we're resurrected, the angels take us up to, we know, the sea of glass and in the clouds? 
Matthew 24. When is that? Okay. When is that? That is the last Pentecost before Christ and all the saints return to the earth. See? So it didn't happen right afterwards. Okay? And the rich man also died and was buried. And in the grave, where was he? In the grave. Question. Where do the rest of the dead, where, where do they come back to life? Well, we have two stages of it, don't we? Number one, at the end of the millennium. Revelation 20. The rest of the dead live not again till the thousand years are finished. Okay? Then, we also have those who are resurrected to be cast into the lake of fire. What's the first thing that they're going to experience when they're resurrected? Coming out of the dirt, right? Okay. And in the grave, he was still in the grave, and he looked up his eyes and was in torment. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, how far that is, we don't know. And he cried out and said, Now remember, those who are raised to go to the lake of fire, what happens? There's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? When they see the flame. So he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have compassion on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering because of this flame. Because he knows he's going to go in it, so he has suffering and torment. Okay? Then Abraham said, Okay? So this is a message going to be told to all of those going in to the lake of fire. All right? Child, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things to the full, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are suffering. And besides all these things between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who desire to pass from here to you are not able. It's walled off. Nor can those from there pass to us. Okay? In other words, this is the final judgment of the wicked, and there is no hope of any reprieve. Okay? So then the rich, rich man said, verse 27, I beseech you then, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. See, because he remembers what it was in his life when he was buried. Okay? So, in this parable, this is way after that time of his father's house. Okay? 
But here's the lesson. For all who are going to be going into the lake of fire. Right here. Verse 29. Go to them earnestly in order that they may not come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to them, Now notice, for eternal life, what does Abraham say? Huh? They have Moses and the prophets. And remember at the time of the writing of the New Testament, and before it was written, that's what they had. And all the apostles taught everything about the New Testament and the New Covenant out of the Old Covenant, plus the inspiration that God gave them, and then the writing that God inspired them to write later on. But they didn't have it here. Okay, Let them hear them. Okay, Huh. Lesson for everyone. You better listen to the, to the law and the prophets. See? But what do we have today? Oh, it's done away. You don't have to pay any attention to it. Nonsense. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one from the dead would go to them, they would repent. And he said to them, now again, listen carefully. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they would not be persuaded even if one rose from the dead. Now, what does this show? This shows an absolute closed-mindedness of those who commit the unpardonable sin. But when are those cast into the lake of fire? After the thousand years. So in order to understand this whole parable, you've got to plug in the holy days and especially the first resurrection, the rest of the dead being resurrected, and the incorrigible wicked being resurrected to go into the lake of fire because you don't have, you don't have it otherwise. Okay? Let's see. Is there another question here? Next question is, And this is Matthew 25, so let's go there. Here again, you have the same thing. You have it written in such a way that there is no sense of a time frame when these things occur because they follow in sequence in the chapter where it's written, but it's not in chronological order according to when the events would take place. Verse 31. Matthew 25. Now when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Okay. Now how long is that going to be? Well, we know the millennium's a thousand years, right? Okay. And we know the great white throne judgment is another hundred years. Okay. Now then. This chapter does not follow in a chronological way, though the verses are in sequence. Okay? Verse 32. And he shall gather before him all the nations. When does he do that? Okay? 
Well, that starts right at the beginning of the millennium, right? And it's carried around through all the millennia. And those in the millennium, the kingdom of God, they're going to have the advantage of being taught by all the sons and daughters of God of the first resurrection. Okay. And they're going to be able to enter into life when the time comes for them to enter into life, and it appears to be when they're a hundred years old. Okay. Now, we'll cover that when we get to the Feast of Tabernacles. And he shall separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay. Now then, that's an ongoing process. This occurs during all the millennium. See? Those who don't repent, they'll be exiled and buried. And they'll come up with Lazarus. Okay? But this is what he does through all the time during the thousand years. Verse 33, And he shall set the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at the left hand. Okay? Now he constantly does that, all during the millennium. Then shall the king say to those at his right hand, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, that looks like it's just one event. No, that continues through the whole millennium. See? So a lot of these are statements of events that take place over a period of time, though when you read it here, it looks like, boy, it happens all of a sudden, but it doesn't. Okay, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. That will pertain mostly to those of us who are Christians right now and what we need to do to help those who have need. Okay, all, all during the whole time of God preparing for the return of Christ. Okay, and then it goes on into the millennium in whatever form that it would go. Okay. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Of course, they never saw him because he wasn't on the earth. See? Everyone who's converted has what? Christ in him. The hope of glory. Right? Okay. So this can refer to those who were converted. It can refer to those who were not converted, but would be converted at a later time because we have what? The great white throne judgment. So you see how much is involved in all of these parables when they come along that unless you have knowledge of the Sabbath and holy days and the timing of them, it's going to be difficult to understand. Okay, But that's the secret to how God caused the Bible to be written so that the people 
who are not called, they will see but not understand. They will hear, but they they will have, have no comprehension of it. Let's read on. Yes, I, verse 36, I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, I was imprisoned, and you came to me. Then the righteous shall answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And answering the king shall say to them, Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of these least of my brethren, you have done it to me. There you go. So this is something going to take place. It's taking place now. It's going to take place during the millennium. It's taking place going back how far? Well, forever. Okay? Look at what happened in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Out of jealousy, Cain killed Abel. Then shall he also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed ones. Now, if you're cursed, that means you didn't keep the commandments. Okay? Now, what's the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and being, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't this true? There are a lot of people out there that tell you what. They wouldn't give anything to anyone who's in difficulty. See? So he says, you cursed ones into the eternal fire. So that means they committed the unpardonable sin. Now this does not mean that the fire burns eternally. But the source of the fire is God, so it's eternal fire. Okay. Which has been prepared. See? It has a start and it has a finish. For the devil and for his angels. Well, you can read that in Revelation, the 20th chapter, right? The beast and false prophet. And all the wicked. Okay? For I was hungry and you did not give me anything to eat. I was thirsty you did not give me anything to drink. I was a stranger. You did not take me in. I was naked. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not come to visit me. Then they also shall answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Then he shall answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, inasmuch that you do it to one of these least of these, neither did you do it to me. And they shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So remember, there are many different places in the Bible that it's written this way. Okay, now let, 
Let's see what else we have. We have quite a few here. This one here is, sorry to email you so soon. Jerry Flurry said that there is an Antichrist in the Church of God, and he is out there. Well, what's he talking about? Do you know, or have you heard him say in a sermon today, that he knows what the seven thunders are. No, he's claimed that before. I don't follow Jerry, Gerald Flurry. I check up on him probably once every couple of years, and people who have received literature from him send it to me. I've got all of his books and everything else. Okay? Let me tell you something else. I'm not saying that he said he was one of the two witnesses. Now, we'll talk about the two witnesses later. But we, with this one here, seven thunders, well, let's come to Revelation 10. Revelation 10, all right? Verse 4, And when the seven thunders spoke with their voices, I was about to write, But I heard a voice from heaven say to me, Seal what the seven thunders spoke and do not write them. So how can you turn to some other writings that were written before this and those plagues were already explained and you say that that is exactly what the seven thunders are going to do? No. We don't. No. Okay. Now, Gerald Flurry says he's like Ezekiel. He's like Jeremiah. Okay. He is like that prophet. Now, what is that prophet? Okay. Come back to Deuteronomy 18. Now, one thing's important. Don't lift yourself up in vanity and make yourself important. You are not that prophet. Now, someone else also wrote me and told me, well, why why do you bring up about Jonathan Kahn and tell about him? Well, it's very important to understand this. Someone's got to have it out there someplace that Jonathan Kahn, he could be, a great tool in God's hands if he would repent and if he would stop the Judaism and if he would tell the Jews to keep the Sabbath, not just give temple on Friday night, and he does all of the traditional things that they do, and then he has church services for the Gentiles on Sunday, and believes that Sunday is the day for the Gentiles. So, if I say Jonathan Kahn needs to repent, and he could do a whole lot better if he'd really turn to God, I'll do it. And I'll say it about anyone else who's out there as a public figure, because they affect people who are trying to find God. Those Jews on Friday night are trying to find God. Those Christians on so-called Christians on Sunday morning, are trying to find God. But what it reveals is he knows more about his paradigms than he does about the Bible. So yes, 
I'll call him out. Franklin Graham, David Jeremiah, Hagee, all of them. They say they are ministers of God. They use the Bible, but they use it incorrectly. Okay? Now, Deuteronomy 18. Okay? Verse 15. Here it is. Remember, you read in in the book of John, chapter 1, those religious leaders came down from Jerusalem to see John, and they said, Are you the Christ? said, No, I'm not. Are you that prophet? said, No, I'm not. They said, Well, who are you? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. See? And the Jews didn't understand it. All right? So here it is, verse 15. Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you, of your brethren, one like me, huh, to him you shall hearken, according to all that he is desired of the Lord your God in or in the day that the assembly is saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, let me not see the great fire anymore, so that I do not die. Okay? And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well what they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, one like you, and put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I shall command him. Okay? Now, again, take these words, and it's spread out over a long period of time. And it shall come to pass, verse 19, whatever man will not hear my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Okay? Now then, Gerald Flory says, he is that prophet. Really? Are you like Christ? Are you like God? Okay, come back here to Acts, the third chapter. Okay, here Peter speaking to the whole Sanhedrin. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Jerusalem, if you examine me this day as to the good work done to the infirm man, by what power he has been cured? Now, this man had been from birth, and he couldn't walk, and he was healed, and he was standing right there in the middle of the Sanhedrin with the apostles. That in his name, Jesus the Christ of, of the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised up from the dead, by him, this man stands before you whole. This is the stone that is set it not by you, the builders, which has become the head of the corner, and there is no salvation in any other, neither is there another name among men by which we must be saved. Okay? I'll come back here to Acts. That's chapter 4 I read. Come back here to Acts 3, 
Now let's pick it up in verse 19. Acts 3 and verse 19, then we'll take a break. Therefore, he's telling the crowd, Repent and be converted in order that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send him who was before proclaimed to you Jesus Christ, whom the heavens must indeed receive until the times of the restitution of all things of which God has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, his holy prophets, since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, a prophet like the Lord your God raise up to you from among your brethren like me. Him you shall hear in all things that he shall say to you, and it shall be that every soul that will not hear that prophet, there it is, that prophet is Christ. No minister in the church today. That prophet shall be destroyed from among his people. Okay? So you see, this is why it's important. I'll say this once more. We have the book, God's Plan for Mankind Revealed by His Sabbath and Holy Days. See? And all the other books explain the Word of God. See? And all the ministers, wherever you are, don't lift yourself up above the brethren. Remember what Jesus said. You've got to serve them. And the whole goal of everything, of Sabbath and preaching and teaching and the Word of God and the Bible and everything that we do is centered around what Jesus said. It is sufficient that the disciple become as his master. Meaning, it is sufficient. That is, that's the efficiency of the word of God that we become like Christ Jesus. Okay, we'll take a break. Have made much progress, but we covered a lot of territory. <laughs> 